Hey guys, Pastor Ted, and uh, you probably notice I'm in the chapel, and uh, we just thought that it would be good out of an abundance of caution. You know, I, I, uh, I had a little cough, and I want to practice social distancing just as we're being exhorted to, so uh, the message tonight's going to be with me here in the chapel, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. Um, we are in Second Thessalonians, we're in chapter 1, we're going to finish up chapter 1. Now let me pray and we'll get into it. Father, we do pray that you would be with us now as we study your word. We pray, God, that you speak to us. God, we pray that you would help us to have wisdom and understanding, to comprehend what your word says and what it means. And Lord, uh, the providential timing that we would be in this section of scripture at this particular time, Lord, it is no accident, and I pray right now that you'd speak to us from your word. I pray, Father, right now as we're gathered together in this setting here uh, online, thank you, Lord, for the timing that all of this, if this had happened 30 years, the church would have been hard-pressed to continue gathering together. But thank you, Lord, that this event happens at a time coinciding with technology to where we can gather together still as a church, uh, Lord. And now we pray together as a church. All of us, in our mind's eye, in my mind's eye right now, I'm seeing faces and I'm, I'm thinking about uh, just the body here. All of us together connected uh, right now uh, online in this teaching. And so, Lord, we pray that as we've gathered together, um, your word remains true. Two or more gathered together in your name, you are there in the midst. Lord, we open our hearts to you now. And we pray for you to speak to us from your word and help us, Lord, to hear your, your heart and your mind. Lord, help us to be responsive to your word. Help us to live out and to be a people of faith, Lord, in this time. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, you know, uh, as by way of introduction here to our text... I was uh, on social media this week, surprise, surprise, like so many of you, and, um, you know, it, I, I, I came across this. I thought it was so hysterical. Uh, a gal posted this. She said, I wanted to do some panic buying, but I checked my account, and all I can do is panic, uh, and uh, I thought that was so funny, but, you know, listen, I have good news for you, church, today, that there is no need to panic. Is there a need to be prudent? Absolutely. But there is no need for us to panic. And Paul's going to tell us why today uh, in his word. So 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Um, we, uh, we went through chapter four, through uh, verse 4 last week. I'm going to pick it up in verse 4 for context. Uh, Paul is talking about how he's thanking God and uh, bragging about this church to everybody that he comes in contact, contact with. And he says, um, uh, well, I'll pick it up in verse 3. He says, We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fitting. Why? Because your faith grows exceedingly, and the love of every one of you all abounds towards each other, so that we ourselves boast of you among the churches of God for your patience and for your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure. And now he goes on, verse 5. He says, Which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer, since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest 
with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. That's a look towards the second coming of Christ. Verse 8, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These, meaning those that are rejecters of God, shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When he comes in that day to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed. Therefore, we also pray always for you that our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. What Paul says here is this. He says that despite enduring significant trials, the Thessalonians remarkably, in the face of these significant trials, they grew in their faith and love. The trials didn't, didn't cause a reduction of their faith. The, the trials didn't cause their love to shrink. But it was quite the opposite. They grew uh, in the midst of these trials. They didn't lose hope. They didn't panic. They didn't climb into a bottle of Xanax or into a bottle of, of Prozac. But, hey, you know, what did they do? They... they, 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 they they grew in faith and love. They, they weren't fighting over packages of toilet paper at Costco. Uh, no, their faith was growing. Their, their, their love was growing. And guys, that's a great encouragement for you and me today. That despite our trials, despite the uncertainty of this coronavirus and this shelter-in-place shutdowns and all the implications of that, uh, the stock market going crazy... Despite of all of these uncertainties, in Christ, church, our faith can grow and our love can grow. And listen, we can live, even in the midst of all this, in bold confidence. I want you to hear this. Peter said this in 2 Peter chapter 1. He said, may God give you more and more grace and peace as you grow in what? In your knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Our Lord. He says that in 2 Peter 2, uh, chapter 1, verse 2. And then he goes on in verse 8 to say this The more you grow like this, the more productive and useful you will be in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me, let me kind of explain this verse this way. I did a radio interview this last week, and the interviewer asked me this question. He said, In your experience, Pastor, what are people's greatest fears? And I thought about that for a second, and I answered him, and I said, you know, people's greatest fears right now are all wrapped up in the fear of the unknown. Uh, you know, am I going to get sick? Are the people that I love going to get sick? Um, am I going to lose my job? What's going to happen with our economy? What's going to be all the implications of this? How long am I going to have to teach my kids at home? And all of those other questions. Now, I think about the fears that we face, and they're very real fears, we acknowledge those fears, but I think about them in light of what Peter says in, in the verses that we just read. Because what Peter says is, you know, that the more and more grace and peace, that this is what he's, he's asking, that, hey, may God give you more and more grace and peace 
How? As you grow in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, um, how does growing in knowledge of God help me grow in grace and peace? That's the question. How does my knowledge of God help me to grow in grace and peace? And how is it productive and useful in the face of very real fear? Because that's what Peter's saying here. He's saying, if you grow in your knowledge of God, then what's going to happen is you're going to be more productive, you're going to be more useful in the kingdom of God, and you're going to have more, uh, more grace and peace as a result of you growing. Um, and, and, and here's how that works. Uh, the, the scripture in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7. Uh, Paul tells the Philippians this, Be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And he promises that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ. Now, this is the compass of the Word of God. This, this verse right there in Philippians, as, as, I, as I grow in the knowledge of God by understanding what God has said here, and he, says, he gives to us there, a compass heading for us to set. He says, don't be anxious, you know, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then the result will be you'll have the peace of God. It'll guard your heart, it'll guard your mind in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, on the face of it, it seems ridiculous. Be anxious for nothing. <sighs> hey, you know, easier said than done, right? But he goes on to tell us how we can be anxious for nothing, that we go to the Lord in prayer, we go to him in supplication, and, hey, he adds that word thanksgiving, which forces us in the midst of our prayer, as I'm bringing this unknown to God, and I'm stressed out about it, hey, I can give it to God, and in the process of prayer, I don't just stay there, just focusing and praying on the unknown. What do I do? I, I pray about those things, but I also consciously pray thanking God for the things that I have to be thankful for. And what that does is it informs my present turmoil and trial and questions and concerns. It informs them with previous answers to prayer. With the, all of those occasions in my past and in your past, when God has shown himself faithful. Think about King David. Hey, he's facing Goliath. And here he has this giant that, he, that he's facing, has the entire nation of Israel, the whole Israeli army, quaking in their boots, immobilized with fear. And David, in the midst of that, he says, hey, I, you know, let me at him. I'm going to take this guy out. And, and everybody, you know, hey, David, you can't do that. You're just a little kid. This guy's been killing people since he was a kid. Like, you, you can't do that. And David, what's he do? He remembers his past wilderness experiences. He says, when I was a boy and I tended my father's sheep uh, and the lion or the bear came and attacked, these weren't hypothetical things. He's saying, I tended my father's sheep and, I, and at one time I was attacked by a lion and another time I was attacked by a bear. And he says, what did he do? He fought and he overcame those in the power of God. 
And so what he says is, look, I'm facing this unknown giant right now. It's a, it's a future yet unworked out, but I, by thanking God and remaining thankful for, for past wilderness experiences that he's delivered me from, I can trust him for this unknown now. And this is how, as I, re, as I obey this command that Paul gives to the Philippians to do just that, hey, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the promise, the God of all peace will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the compass heading, but in light of 2 Peter, hey, may God give you more and more grace and peace. Here it is. As you grow in your knowledge of, of God and Jesus, our Lord. Jesus is the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. And so the thing is, as I grow in Jesus, as I grow in his word, then what happens is more grace, more peace as, as I just simply apply his word. Thank you, Lord, that we have that available. In Christ, our faith can grow and our love can grow. But listen, the opposite of that is also true. The Bible promises something very different for those who don't trust God. The psalmist said this, Psalms 52, verse 7. The psalmist said, Look what happens to mighty warriors who do not trust in God. They trust their wealth instead, and they grow more and more bold in their wickedness. And the Bible says they're going to be suddenly destroyed, and that without remedy. You see, this is why Paul told the Galatians, let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season, he says, we shall reap if we don't lose heart. You know, coming in here to, 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 to preach this message, I walked by an unfinished playground right outside. And, you know, our playground, we had, we had a couple of people generously donate for us to build the playground for our kids. We started construction of it. But then we had to put construction on pause because of the weather. The weather changed, and now we've got a playground that is sitting unfinished. And now we've got this shelter-in-place order, and so the playground is sitting unfinished. Now, what, it, what occurred to me is that's, that's a metaphor. It's a picture of, of kind of where we're at as a church right now, right? But here's what I want you to hear. The storms are going to pass, and the shelter-in-place order is going to be lifted at some point. And the day is coming when sheltering in place is behind us, when, when the weather's going to change, when we're going to return to gathering together, and we're going to finish that playground. And our kids are going to enjoy that playground. And, and we're going to enjoy being in fellowship together again. You see, there, there, there is hope, and, and, and there, there, there's, we can trust in the Lord. And what's going on right now, yeah, big question marks. And, and how long, and what are the implications? But guys, God's going to bring us through. He's going to bring us to the other side. And so here in our text, the same is true for the Thessalonians. No matter how difficult their present circumstances were, not only did they have a secure future to look forward to, but Paul says in verse 5 that their current sufferings were in fact the manifest evidence that God was working out his plan for them. In other words, their suffering was actually proof that God was working in their lives. Now that seems crazy, right? You're suffering. Hey, praise the Lord. That's proof God's working in your life. What? Right? Because what happens is so we don't always typically equate suffering 
with God's plan. But actually, listen, the opposite is true. Listen to what the Bible says. The writer of Hebrews, Hebrews 12, verse 6, says that the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. Paul told Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Everyone, that word everyone in the Greek, it literally means absolutely everyone. Every kind, uh, every variety, everyone will be persecuted. And what Paul tells the Thessalonians here in our text is that God will use the trials and the persecutions that they are going through, and by implication, the trials and persecutions that you and I are going through. And he says God uses them in two distinct ways. Very informative, guys, for where we're at right now. First, Paul says that God will use trials and persecution, number one, write it down, to measure us. He's going to use the trials and the persecutions to measure us. He, he says again, verses 4 and 5, Hey, we're bragging amongst you, the, children, to the, the churches of God, for your patience and your faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure, which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you suffer. In other words, what Paul says is this, that the way that you endure trials is the evidence of your worthiness of the kingdom. Now, the idea of this phrase, counted worthy, um, it has in view a balancing of scales. And, and this is, the idea is this, it's not an earning thing where if you suffer enough, you know, God owes you kind of deal and, and, and all. That's not what's being in view here. Rather, it's a measuring thing where suffering actually reveals what's inside you. It's manifest evidence as you endure suffering and, and your faith grows and, and your love grows through the midst of the suffering. That's the manifest evidence of what's inside you. You know, it's, it, it's like taking a tea bag and you put it in hot water. All the hot water does is really exposes what's in the tea bag, right? And so when, when God puts us through this, when we endure these afflictions, what Paul is saying is that when we do that, when we endure those afflictions, it's an opportunity for our faith to be, to be weighed, to be measured. The Apostle Peter says the exact same thing in 1 Peter 1. He says this. He says, There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. These trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire, and uh, it, it, it is tested as, uh, I'm sorry, it is tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere Gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, Peter says, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Christ Jesus is revealed to the whole world. And so this is the first distinct way that God uses our trials and our persecutions. It's to measure us. It's to reveal, uh, the, you know, to, to manif it's the manifest evidence when you go through it Hey, is your faith really in Jesus, or was it really in your bank account? Was it really in your circumstances? And so it's, it's a useful measure to measure us. The second distinct way that God uses trials and persecutions, Paul says, is to show 
his justice. And this is a very important thing, and this is setting the stage for what we're going to study next week. See, this is God's using trials and persecutions, and he will use trials and persecutions to show his justice, specifically when he pours out his wrath on a God-rejecting world. This is what he says in verses uh, 6 through 9. <clears throat> he says, Since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulations those who trouble you and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. These... Who are these? These are those that reject Jesus. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Paul here is talking about the great tribulation. This is an unparalleled time of wrath and of torment. And the idea here is that when God does this, what Paul is saying is, look, Nobody's going to be able to sit back and go, oh, wait a minute, this, 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 this is wrong. You were too harsh with the people that you judge. Your wrath was undeserved. He, basically, what he's saying is, boy, howdy, man, the world has earned it. This is manifold, manifest evidence. Their conduct, their behavior, their persecution is manifest evidence that they have deserved it. Listen, understand, the Bible says this, that God desires, this is the heart of God, he desires that none should perish but that all should have everlasting life. This is God's heart. And that's why he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins in our place. The Bible says that God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. But what was the world's response? Jesus coming, saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Willingly going to the cross. Willingly be, allowing himself to be spat upon and, and nailed to that cross and, and mocked and tormented as he died. And he made the point of telling his disciples, look, at any point I can call down legions of angels to, to you know, deliver me from this. I'm not going to do it. Why? Because God loves the world. Jesus giving himself, giving his life as a ransom for many. So that anybody, you know, that we can come to a saving faith that we recognize, I'm a sinner, I need a Savior, Jesus, have mercy on me. That's the mechanism, that's the means by which God accomplishes His plan to save a lost world. But what was the world's response to that great act of love? Well, in large part, the world's response has been rejection and ridicule. For 2,000 years, listen, God has been patient. God has been patient, desiring that none should perish, but that all should have everlasting life. And so, it, it, you know, he, he, he's patient with a world that largely rejects him, that largely scorns him, a world without shame that kills the unborn, that, that flaunts the immoral. And, and the Bible says, listen, a time is coming when God's patience is going to run out. A time is coming when God is going to say, enough, and he's going to execute judgment upon those who reject God and upon those who persecute his people. Now, Paul's going to take a very deep dive into this next week as we come into chapter 2. Um, and um, we're going to look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the Great Tribulation, all these things. But people have asked me, are we in the Great Tribulation now? 
And I've actually field that, fielded that question this week. Here's the short answer. No, we're not in the Great Tribulation right now. But listen, as I alluded to you last week, Jesus said that there would be unmistakable signs as the tribulation draws near. Jesus said that in the last days, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. And he said, see that you're not troubled, for all of these things must come to pass. But the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines, there will be pestilences, and earthquakes in various places. He says, all of these are the beginning of sorrows. The beginning of sorrows, that, that word sorrows, it literally means labor pains. And, and you, know, you know, like labor, what happens is the pains, they increase both in quantity and in intensity. They come more closely together as the event draws near, right? And so what happens is as they're getting more and more frequent, they become more and more severe. And I don't have to tell you this, you know, anecdotally, you know, by just opening up your, your browser and going to, to, to CNN or Fox News or Huffington Post or whatever your news site is, you know as you read the headlines, major birth pangs are happening in rapid succession right now in the time in which we live. We're dealing most immediately with the COVID-19 uh, outbreak, I'll come right back to that, but we're also right now, did you know that there's a major locust plague going on in Africa, and China is now gearing for as if the, the virus that they've suffered through hasn't been enough. They're, they're gearing up for a major locust plague hitting China as well. The Australian wildfires of this year, the war in Syria that's going on right now, which has drawn Turkey into the mix. Russia is now a major player in the Middle East. They've, they haven't been, now they are. Israel fighting there in Syria. The U.S. has troops fighting in Syria. And all of this is going down. But listen, this latest birth pang, when we're dealing right now with the coronavirus, it's different than anything we've ever known before. Yeah, certainly we have gone through, um, through plagues in our past. We, we in the United States, we went through the Spanish flu back in the early 1900s. Um, we, we've had other uh, plagues that have afflicted mankind. But listen, this is a global event. This is global and that is huge. And it's brought the whole world to a stop. That's never happened before. The whole world has grinded to a stop. I want you to think about it. No sports, no concerts, no gatherings, no toilet paper. That's another story. Listen, here's what I want you to hear. Pay attention. God has removed all the distractions right now. And right now, as the world grinds to a halt, God is whispering to you and to me, to this lost world, he's saying, look up, look to me. This is what's going on right now. God, it's as if, just like you do with your kids, you grab their chin and you turn their head and their attention towards you. God's done that with the whole world right now with this latest birth pang. Jesus, speaking of these days, said to his disciples, now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption draws near. Hey, let me ask you a question. Is this your hope today? Is this your hope today? 
Do you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you know for certainty, do you have a peace about where you're going to go when you die? I want you to hear and, and, and listen, hear from my heart. Hear from the heart of the gospel. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the Bible says the wages of sin is death. Wages, hey, it's what you get for the end of the work week. Pay me. This is what I've earned. God says what you and I have earned as sinners by nature and by choice. We've earned death. We've earned judgment, right? But God's heart is to save and to redeem. And so he demonstrates his love by sending Jesus Christ to die on a cross for our sins in our place. And the Bible says if you confess your sins that he's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That word all means all, that's all all means. And God loves you, he wants to know you, he wants you to know him, he wants to make you a new creation. The Bible says if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things pass away and behold all things become new. And the Bible says that you can't earn your way into heaven. You can't do enough good deeds. The Bible says that our righteousness, our, 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 uh, our, our holiness before God, it's as filthy rags to God, our, our righteousness in and of ourselves. So you, you can't do enough good deeds to earn your way into heaven. The Bible says there's only one way that you and I can go to heaven, and that's trusting in Jesus' good deeds. Him dying on the cross for our sins in our place. And the Bible makes it clear. If you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's the Son of God, that he died on the cross for your sins in your place, and you make that confession with your mouth, the Bible says that you will be saved. The Bible calls us to repent and to turn to the Lord. And repentance, it simply means to turn. That doesn't mean that you turn and you start doing good and trying harder in your own strength. What it means is that you turn from the actions and the lifestyle and, and the, the, the things that the way that you've been living. It means you turn to God and you confess, God, I am a sinner. And I need a Savior. And Jesus, I believe you're the Savior. And I believe you paid the penalty for my sin. And I believe the only way that I can be made right with you and acceptable in your sight and be changed into that new creation is to cry out and invite you to be my Lord and Savior. I want to give you that opportunity today. In fact, as we conclude our message, I'll give you the opportunity to pray that prayer, to, to surrender your life to the Lord and to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. So critically important. Now, next week, as I said, as we get into chapter 2, we're going to take a deep dive into end times prophecy. We're going to look at the rapture of the church. We're going to look at the second coming of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at the Antichrist. Uh, and we're, we're going to see how our current events fit into all of these prophecies. Um, but today as we close, for everybody who has the hope of Jesus, Paul concludes with the prayer, and I want to invite you to make this your prayer uh, today. Look at verses 10 through 12. He says this, he says, when he comes, when Jesus comes, in that day, to be glorified in his saints and to be admired among all those who believe, because our testimony among you was believed, He's talking about the gospel going forth in this church receiving this. And he's talking about the second coming of Christ. He says, therefore, we also pray always for you. Listen to what he prays for. That our God would count you worthy of this calling and fulfill all the good pleasure of his goodness and the work of faith with power. 
that the name of our Lord Jesus Christ may be glorified in you and uh, you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, if you're anxious today, if you're suffering today, if you are fearful today, I want you to take heart. God is growing you. He's growing you. He's allowed you to go through these things, but he wants to manifestly show you that, listen, your faith is in him and he's working in your life. God desires to be glorified through your life, through your worthiness, through your walk, through your witness. These are the things that Paul prays for this church that I'm praying for you. God wants to be glorified, listen, in how he provides for you and how you trust him to provide for you. He wants to be glorified in how you learn to trust him in deeper ways. The question, church, is are you going to trust him in those deeper ways? Let me pray. Father, we come to you and we're thankful for your word. Thankful for your word and the timeliness of it. And Lord, we pray that you'd make us not just to be hearers only of your word, but help us to be doers of your word. Just as we focused on today, may we take your word in and may it be that compass that we set the compass of our lives by and we learn to trust in you as we take your word in and as we trust you and obey it, would you give to us that peace and that increase of faith that comes as we, as we learn Hey, we taste and see, God, you are good. I can take you at your word, and you are faithful. Lord, as we come now to the communion table, we partake of the bread, which is symbolic of your body broken for us. We partake of the cup, which is symbolic of your blood shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. Lord, we remember that this is our hope, that there is a God in heaven who loves us so incredibly that he's given his life for us and that we can know him and trust him. Lord, we thank you so much for that. And in this attitude of prayer right now, folks, I want to ask you, do you know where you're going to spend eternity? I want to give you the opportunity right now, wherever you are, you're sitting at home in your living room, you're watching this, you know, you know, they're online. I want to ask you, do you know Jesus? And are you ready to cry out to him. It's just as simple as turning to him in prayer and just surrendering your heart to him. Right now, wherever you sit, I invite you to pray. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner, and I believe that you're the Savior. Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sin in my place, and I believe that you are coming again, just as I read in these verses. Lord, I pray that you would make me ready for when, Lord, you call me home, when that day comes, when I will breathe my last and stand before you, Lord, that you would find me worthy, and worthiness comes, Jesus, just by trusting in you and believing in you. And so, Lord, right now, I want to invite you to come in to be my Lord and Savior, to make me a new creation in Christ. And, Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, if you prayed that prayer, I want to encourage you, uh, talk to us. You, you can message us. You can reach us at the church, reliancechurch.org. Um, and uh, you can reach us right now on the, 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 the live stream. 
We, we've got folks on there right now, and you see the chat going on in the live stream, and you can just simply type, type in, I prayed the prayer. Give us your contact information, and man, we're going to reach out to you. We're going to encourage you in your faith. We want you to know Jesus. We want you to make him known. Guys, trust in the Lord. He's on the throne we can trust in Him. He's going to bring us through this just as He's always been faithful. He'll continue to be faithful. Love you guys. God bless you.